Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. everybody and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite George Cup. Hello everyone, this evening Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. So tonight we will be discussing, was Keir Starmer right to launch an inquiry into a leaked party report? What is the best British band of all time and lastly would you ever want to be famous with each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and these discussions will be open until the end of the topic sorry until the end of the song between each topic but first uh, last week we asked you guys to send in your questions for George and I to answer and we're going to have a go now at answering them (laughs) as you might expect um they're all uh coronavirus related or lockdown related uh so the first one's from lewis lewis said i was watching an interview last week i've completely forgotten who it was with but the interviewer asked their guest a question which has been on my mind if the scientists came to the conclusion that the coronavirus caused by our mobile phones what would you choose being able to have a mobile phone or being able to live a normal life outside of self-isolation so I wanted to ask you both the same question. What would you choose? But also I'm interested in what you think an outcome of a referendum on that subject would look like. Do you think most of the country would rather have mobile phones or be able to leave the house? George, what do you think? I think um, in a way, Lewis, I, for me, if, if a scientist came out and um, there was sufficient evidence to prove that our mobile fo- phones were the cause um, of the coronavirus, I think I would be very quick to get rid of my mobile phone. Um, I wouldn't want to have the coronavirus just to be able to use my phone. Um, I think, and I would like to think that I can live my life without my mobile phone. And and absolutely, I would would choose to be able to be free and, and to be able to go outside and get out of isolation than just to have my mobile phone. I think that, um, in a weird way, being in isolation has actually made a lot of people, including myself, appreciate the outside and, and actually realise how lucky we are to be able to go out and about and, and not just to have to stay in our houses. If it came down to a referendum, 
I think that people would, I think of what a big thing would, would count on which generation you are. But if we're going to go for a whole, whole, uh, everyone, I think that possibly that going outside and, and being with, being able to actually be free would come out on top in my personal opinion. Um, what do you think though, Callum? Do you think that the threat of the coronavirus coming from your mobile phone is enough to stop you using it? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I mean, the, the difficulty would be, I think it's very easy to say, yes, I'd stop using my mobile phone, but then the, the practice of it um, would be very, very difficult to say the least. And I think the, the country as a whole um, would would vote similarly in terms of in, in a referendum. I think they, they, they would definitely vote, you know, if it's a choice between, um, you know, having your mobile phone, which gives you coronavirus or or not having a mobile phone. They're obviously going to say not having a mobile phone. But then it's the, the impracticalities of actually living without that. I mean, if I don't go with my mobile phone for just half an hour or so, I'm reaching for it. I'm wondering where it is. <laughs> Um, and, and so you could you could definitely see um, that that everyone else um, would face that predicament as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think there would be some attachment issues going on. Um, right. So let's move on to our second uh, p uh, question, even. And it's from Jake. And he says, obviously, this coronavirus has been really scary, but I'm more scared about what the next superbug or super virus is, because these things only develop to become more dangerous than the previous one. So as scary as it sounds, what do you think the next one will be like? And do you think the world will be prepared for it? Because we definitely haven't been prepared for the coronavirus. I'm sorry it's difficult because I'm asking you to predict the future, but I'm interested in, in what you think will happen. Well, Callum, predict the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the usual kind of uh, qualifications uh, apply here in terms of, you know, I'm not a scientist, so very difficult to, to say anything um, with any real basis in in fact unfortunately on this yeah. um and so i'd find it very very difficult to say what the next kind of super bug is going to look like um i think a lot of scientists are concerned about um the growth of um, antibiotic resistant bacteria so possibly we will face an issue with that in the future um, but i wouldn't like to say with any kind of certainty in terms of the other question of will we be better will we be prepared for it i think we will be better prepared for it than we are the coronavirus um just because the coronavirus and this the whole effect it's had on the entire world is something i don't think anyone would have ever imagined um and it, it although this kind of thing has happened in the past with the spanish flu um uh, in the last century um that was there was kind of a belief that that was from you know that was from the history books and that would never happen in the present day this has shown that it is actually possible in the present day for it to happen um so i think it will mean that we're better prepared for it than what we have been what do you think george yeah i i think um as callum rightly says it is hard for us with the uh, qualification side to be able to clearly predict what a virus would look like um i think that the progression of of science and the progression of um, bacteria and viruses is so vast at the moment. Um, it's incredible, and I think that we, as a human race, were possibly very naive 
um, until this current point in thinking that we were able to be on top of kind of viruses that were coming in and that we would actually no, nothing was going to come and kind of defeat us in in the virus terms um and i and i think that because of that the, the thing with viruses is, is that they develop and and they they learn that is if they kind of have brains themselves they they evolve into making sure that whatever we treat them with they can survive because at the end of the day their purpose on this planet is to survive and spread um and I think possibly it could be something that's more aggressive or it could be something that's more kind of secretive that isn't a doesn't show so many symptoms. Um, but as I said, I am pulling at straws here just to try and think of what possibly <laughs> it could look like. Um, I think that it, it, you could possibly i mean the the in previous times i think it was in 2016 the government did do kind of like a dummy run of how they would control a, a virus outbreak um and what which areas they must develop on and how they would be able to control it and um make sure that the society that we know it today actually survives um and they they learn from those and they take notes from those to bring them forward into current situations like we're seeing today um and absolutely appreciate there is an argument that not many of those um things learned have been brought forward but um at the same time i think that uh we are learning very quickly about how we should deal with these situations and how um it is best to go around them and because of that i think that we will definitely be better prepared and i think we will definitely be able to um more kind of make sure that people are shielding a lot quicker, make sure that not so many people catch the virus. Um, and I think even though that there is likelihood that it could be more aggressive in the future, whatever the virus may be, I think that our approach will be more aggressive. And as such, I think we will be a lot safer. Mm. And then, so moving on to our final question, I think it's actually a really fantastic question. It's from Harley. Harley says, Google and Apple have announced that they're monitoring people's location activity at the moment to help inform people if they've recently come into contact with people who are found to be infected with coronavirus. It uses Bluetooth, I think, and is quite complicated, but quite cool, <laughs> but also really dark. The idea of these tech companies essentially telling people if we have a virus based on our location feels like something out of a movie. I'm just interested in your opinion of this. Do you think it is overstepping the mark or do we all need the help we can get to stop the virus from spreading? George, what do you make of that? I um, <clears throat> I like to think that I'm someone that would always stand for human rights and make sure that the, the right of privacy is always respected as far as humanly possible. But at the same time, I think when we are facing a pandemic that could put threat to your own life and um, a human right is your your life and being alive um and i think that is probably one of the most important human rights that you have so for me i think that it is actually quite important that that we are taking certain steps that might be challenging human rights and might be challenging our the privacy laws that we have in place but to ensure our safety and to ensure that we aren't doing things unnecessarily that we aren't making contact with people unnecessarily or if we do we can be informed that that person has the coronavirus or so on and so forth i think it's really important to ensure that we can get one up on this uh this virus and i think going back to the previous question the the, the current 
systems that are in place from Google and Apple, I think they really need to be developed so that if we face like a situation like we do today, that can really be implemented so we can really ensure that people are staying inside, ensure that people aren't coming in contact with people that um, are infected. So yeah, I think it is actually a good move to have but I totally understand the pressures that it also has on um, the privacy laws and, and privacy human rights. Callum, what are your thoughts? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in kind of two minds about this. Instinctively, um, I'd say it's overstepping the mark um, in terms of um, private companies using data in this way. And I think if it's being used as kind of a way of, of, uh, shaming people um in terms of if they're outside and not in their home during this during this lockdown period i i wouldn't be comfortable with that but in the way in which harley's described it i, I can definitely see that there, there obviously is a, a use of google and apple using this data but but i would be very very concerned because this is quite sensitive data people's location data and i think it needs to definitely be uh there needs to be a good kind of legal cap on on them processing this and then ensuring it's only used during times of of crisis as we're facing right now right then uh, remember we'll be announcing what we want you guys to send in um on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but we've reached time for the first song break of this evening and we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, was Kia Starmer right to launch an inquiry into leaked party into a leaked party report? So the Labour leader, Sir Kia Starmer, has launched an inquiry into the leak of an internal report into the party's handling of anti-Semitism claims. Sir Kia said the inquiry will look at why it was commissioned its contents and how it came into the public domain. Labour has been plagued with allegations of anti-Semitism since 2016. The party's new leader, Sakia Starmer, has apologised to the Jewish community for the ongoing issue. He has been praised by leaders for achieving more in four days than Mr Corbyn did in four years on tackling anti-Semitism. But Mr Gurr, what do you think about this, though? Was Kia right? And could this cause further divisions in the Labour Party? Um, I think it's already causing further divisions within the <laughs> Labour Party. Um, I think Keir Starmer was right, though, um, to, to call for this inquiry, um, because I, I think he, he had no other choice, effectively, because l let's look at what this, this report um, is alleged to detail. Um, it is alleged to, to talk about the, the Labour Party's HQ's conduct interfering with the overall performance of the Labour Party and attempting to undermine Jeremy Corbyn's leadership during his tenure, um, which obviously, if that is found to be true, um, that kind of thing has got to be investigated. But on the other hand, um, it also contains um, a lot of information about whistleblowers within the party um who who lifted the lid on the the anti-semitism crisis and the the supposed failure of the labor leadership to really take a hold of this issue uh, and so the leaking of those names pl pl puts those people 
under a lot of fear and stress. Um, and obviously those names should never, ever be leaked, really. Um, so this inquiry has to happen because, as you said in the introduction, it's not just looking at um, what the what the party reports are to have said, but it's also looking at how it got leaked in the first place, how these names came into the public domain. And I think for me, for, from my perspective, that's the more important question um, to, to be asked. Um, but I think Keir Starmer was definitely right. What, what do you think, George? Yeah, I, I definitely think that Keir Starmer was was right to uh, to make sure that, that this is investigated and to make sure that this this um, is kind of um, looked at and the spotlight is put onto it. It is really important because, um, as Callum has rightly said, that this this document should never have been leaked. It's incredibly worrying that it's been leaked, um, and and I think that it's actually quite scary that in today's society in a party that there should be trust um and uh, a feeling of community a feeling of being together that there are those people within the party to ensure that that is being leaked but however there are definitely areas of division that are going on at the moment i mean um i think a lot of the corbynites are realizing that kia starmer isn't um feeling like he's walking on eggshells he is going in very quickly um and mm. he is ensuring that he is making change under his leadership um and i think a lot of the corbynites don't like that and i think that because of that that kind of following from jeremy corbyn is really being pressured and a lot of people are saying that it's not the labor party that they were once part of um and i think personally to me any political party, no matter what name it's under, um, should be truthful and should ensure that they are whatever goes on within the party is done under rules that are there in, in place to ensure that there is that um, level of um, professionalism and also to make sure that they can then be honest with their members. And currently right now, I think the Labour members should really take a hard look at their previous um, leader into why this has all happened. Um, but I definitely think this is a very strong and good move um, from Keir. And, and, and I do wonder, though, because obviously you say that they should be looking into the past leadership. But I suppose an alternative argument would be um, that, that this report contains information which was possibly suggests that uh, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't so much the problem, not in terms of the anti-Semitism issue, but in terms of electability, um, because, because the, the report um, supposedly details the kind of, as I said, the, the way in which the, uh, the HQ staff acted to try and undermine um, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership and, and the fact that when they noticed that um, during the polls, uh, during rather the 2017 uh, general election campaign, when they noticed that in the polls Labour was starting to pick up, they didn't react to that positively. Um, and, and do you think on that basis, if that does turn out to be true, do you think that it's grounds for actually the Labour leadership election itself to be rerun? Because arguably maybe some people would have voted differently if they'd have seen this report and what it says um, and they might well have voted for a more Corbynite candidate in Rebecca Long-Bailey say or even Jeremy Corbyn might have stood again himself what do you make of that George? I think it's definitely a very interesting um, 
way to look at this. And and I think that it's it's hard to, to say because personally, I think if Jeremy Corbyn stood again in, in the um, leadership election, I don't think he possibly would have got it again. Not just because of the, the unelectability of him, but because of the anti-Semitism background noise that will be coming from him. And I but I can see the argument from Rebecca Long Bailey Um but at the same time, Kia has said that he he respected the last manifesto and he would take a lot of that forward with him. Um, and and I think because of that, I, I personally don't think there is really any grounds to call for the rerun of a Labour leadership election because, um, you know, the Labour leadership elections happen However, often if a, if a Labour leader gets challenged or if there's a vote of no confidence and if they want to go down that route, they can. But I think it would be um, kind of unnecessary for them to rerun it. But what do you think, Alan? Do you think there is the the need for that to happen if, if the report does show that kind of evidence? Uh, no, I don't think there is, because I, I think firstly, um, in terms of, yes, uh, if this did happen, then HQ interference may well have um, made the 2017 general election result different, maybe, although I'll come back to that and say, well, I don't think that's the case in a second. But um, I, I, I think by 2019, when, when we had the general election in 2019, HU staff was made up much more by Corbynite kind of people. Um, and therefore, the, he, he did have more of that support coming from Labour HQ, yet they still didn't win the election then. So I don't think that necessarily if the staff had been different or taken different actions in 2017, I, I don't I don't think it would have changed the outcome. Um, and I'd say also that when we're looking at the 2017 election, let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that no one expected Labour to do that well. Um, and on that basis, um, I, I think because no one expected Labour to do well, it, may, it freed up some people who maybe didn't want Jeremy Corbyn to get in to to vote for for Labour or vote for um, the the Liberal Democrats, um, and taking away uh, take, taking votes away from the Conservatives because they felt confident. Well, they're never ever going to win Labour, so Corbyn's never going to get into number ten. Whereas once 2019 came around, okay, the polls did suggest that Labour were going to do badly again. But I think there was that worry that maybe they would confound expectations again. So, so a lot of people didn't want to take that chance on getting Corbyn into to number 10. So I, I think that even though they've done well in 2017, I don't think it necessarily shows that, that, that they were really electable. And if HQ had acted differently, if this report had come out earlier, I don't think it would have changed things, mm. essentially. I and, but how how do you think that if we're looking at um, the current leader, Keir Starmer, how do you think his approach um, is going to be seen, not just by the Labour Party members themselves, but also by other parties as well? Do you think this kind of very strong approach to tackle these certain issues, do you think that's making um, certain Labour members worry or do you think that's more making a lot of other members of a lot of other parties worry? Um, I mean, in terms of from a Labour's perspective, obviously it, it kind of gives a lot of exposure to the uh, the internal divisions within Labour. So yeah. in the short term, I don't think it's maybe that going to be amazing for them. But I think in the long term, it is going to be a good thing. Um, and, and I think 
for the other parties, particularly looking at maybe some of the smaller parties, the, the, the Liberal Democrats, the Green Party, SNP to an extent, although obviously in their patch, they're not really a small party. But, but I think for all of those guys, it's going to mean they will, with the action that Keir Starmer's taken, I think they're losing a lot of their Trump cards against Labour um, in terms of anti-Semitism and also electability as well. Mm. Uh, and I think they won't be able to play that as much if Keir Starmer can can solve this issue i suppose as much as as much as he can i mean what do you think george yeah i think i think you you raise a really important point that um a lot of the kind of parties on the left side um, of the spectrum were kind of probably a little bit more relaxed as it were um going against labor because they knew that they were unelectable and they knew that they could kind of make that ground up on them but now kia has come come on board and as it has been quoted um from other leaders that he's achieved more in four days than jeremy Corbyn did in four years especially in terms of anti-semitism and and i think that must make a lot of um leaders of parties rather worried especially those on the left and because you know absolutely a, a party's aim is to get elected and if you are getting challenged more and more by other parties then it is less likely for your party to um stand on the platform and to be different from those on the left side as well so I'm going to kind of bounce this one back to you, Callum. As a um, previous member of the Liberal Democrats and also as kind of a sort of follower of the Liberal Democrats, do you think this is more damaging for a party like the Liberal Democrats? As in uh, the, the, the report or um, Keir Starmer's leadership? Well, both, really. Uh, in terms of the report, I'm not entirely certain, to be honest, but in terms of Keir Starmer's leadership, um, I, I think it's a massively worrying time for the Liberal Democrats. I think there was a poll out this week or last week, um, which essentially suggested that they're on 5% in the polls, um, which they haven't really seen since just after the 2015 election. They were in those kind of lowly figures. Um, and I think a lot of the, the mass of, of the people that voted Liberal Democrat last time are now looking possibly at the Labour Party, notwithstanding, obviously, this report and the factionalism it's exposed again. Um, but I think they're looking at, at the Labour Party and saying, I might go back and vote for them again. Yeah. And and how do you think this poll is going to go? Um, I think that most people will say, yes, uh, he was right to launch this. Uh, so 70 percent. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to say about 67 percent say yes. Um but there is only one way to find out, and that's for you guys to vote away on the question. Was Keir Starmer right to launch an inquiry into a leaked party report? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before that break, we asked the question, was Keir Starmer right to launch an inquiry into a leaked party report? And you guys have been voting away. So the results have just come in and 71% of you said yes and 29% of you said no. Well, there you go, Callum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, uh, very uh, close guess from me, George. Better, better luck next time, mate. Thanks. 
<laughs> right, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, what is the best British band of all time? So the UK has produced many amazing music groups, but which is the best ever? Which band do you find yourself never skipping a song on their albums or wishing you had a time machine so you could go and see them live? What do you think is the best British band of all time? Oasis, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, The Spice Girls, Queen, or that really famous band, Alba? What do you think? <laughs> Well, um, first, I just wanted to say I, I love how when we first started this and you, you we swapped roles, you were writing really extravagant introductions for each of these uh, little points. And I, and I said to you, it won't last very long. And, and well, here we are. Um, but for, for, for <laughs> well, me, everyone knows these fans, though, George. I was... Well, I, I, I've never heard of other. I think there needs to be an explanation. There. <laughs> I'll just uh, give it in a minute. OK, thanks, Callum. Um, so I, for me, I, I, there are some fantastic bands in here. And of course there are some fa fantastic bands that haven't made it on, uh, onto this list, but, um, for the, the whole kind of experience, the romance, the ability of the songs, the, the, the range of the songs as well has to be queen. Um, for me, I, I, I love, I love Freddie Mercury. I, I love um, all, all of the, the, the band members. And I, and I think that there is such a kind of, I don't know, that, that real, you can hear a message in the songs. And I think the songs are so catchy. They're songs that will last forever. And, and I think so many of their songs are well known. I, I absolutely agree that the, all of these bands have a couple of songs that are well known. But for me, the Queen is, is, is just the, the one that tops them all. Now, as much as I would have loved to say Oasis or the Beatles, um, and I do love Oasis, I really do. But I, I just think in terms of being iconic and, and being um, even after the death of Freddie Mercury, even being around today in, in, in so many different ways. Um, and I think the Queen really transformed the way that music was. Um, they were very ahead of their time in the way they produced music. Um, and I, I, and I think that they deserve all the credit um, that we can give them. So yeah, for me, Queen is definitely up there, but Callum, how about you? Are you uh, batting for the Spice Girls? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not. I mean, the Spice Girls are obviously um, iconic in their, their own right. Um, obviously, um, I, I do, I, I do quite like the Spice Girls. Something, like um, and obviously, they the the Union Jack dress you now just completely associate with the, with the Spice Girls, and, and probably even Union Jacks in general. Um, so, so I think you know, there's a, there's a case to be made for them. Um, but in, in my opinion, I think the Beatles are the best British band of all time, mainly because I think if you if you look at all of these other bands, with maybe the exception of the Rolling Stones, they probably would all say that they take inspiration from the Beatles themselves. And I think that's a testament to just how big they were i mean they were really one of the first bands that kind of revolutionized um the, the 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 modern music industry in the way that we understand it now in terms of um 
in terms of with with albums it not just being about having a couple of good songs and then filler although obviously some some music artists nowadays are are maybe guilty of that as well but but in general they they made their albums everything really you know every song was was really thought about and i think the thing with the beatles as well is that their kind of their music changes um throughout their time active as a band and and i think that's that's massive. Uh, I also, similarly to you, George, I, I like to say Oasis. I do very much like Oasis. Um, I, I mean, I mean a bit. I'm a big um, Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher fan. Uh, not maybe for their personal beliefs or anything. <laughs> I would probably qualify that. Um, but the, but in terms of their music, I think um, is phenomenal, really. Um, and so I do very much like Oasis and, and they were part of this really big kind of counterculture in the 1990s um, with that kind of Britpop chart battle with Blur as well. And obviously Blur maybe will feel a bit of grief to not be on this list <laughs> as well. Um, but I just don't think that they're quite on the same level as what the Beatles were in terms of their legacy. And and I think the testament to that is the fact that when I went and saw Noel Gallagher live, uh, he played a Beatles song. Um, at the end, and I think that just shows the kind of all-encompassing reach that, of, yeah. of of the Beatles. Is that is that the one that we went to go and see together? That is, yeah. So unfortunately, the only time I've seen uh, Noel Gallagher live. Uh, I mean, George, looking at the Rolling Stones, are they uh, a band you've listened to much yourself? Um, I, I, I definitely think there is songs out there that i have definitely listened to but maybe i haven't associated to the rolling stones um i mean i couldn't really name that many songs from the rolling stones but i i i'm sure if um i asked my mom or my dad about the rolling stones they would absolutely pick the rolling stones um but i just for me i i don't feel as if they have been able to to reach out like the beatles did or like queen did um to our generation and to previous generations as well um, and generations below us so i think it's a great kind of sentiment when a band's music even after years of uh not releasing anything is still being played constantly and, and still being enjoyed by countless generations and i just for me i don't feel like the rolling stones kind of presents that that argument do you do you do you think that they do or 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 not um yeah i, I kind of agree with you in that for, from our generation's perspective, I don't think the Rolling Stones are anywhere near as um, influential. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, you know, I, uh, as you say, I'd very much struggle to to um, name a, a Rolling Stones song, or at least many songs of theirs. I pro- definitely couldn't name an, the name of one. Whereas probably with the exception maybe of the Spice Girls I could probably all of the I have been trying to listen to the Rolling Stones a little bit lately because they are seen as so so kind of influential in many ways I mean the, um, according to officialcharts.com <laughs> they they said that they're the fourth best-selling group of all time um, so so I think that tells you wow. that obviously they are mm-hmm. massive and and you know they're, they're still active um, relative um well um so i think that does tell you that, that they are um obviously quite big i mean looking at that other category george what what, what do you think should be 
the the other bands that maybe we we've forgotten here i think for me um i was i was thinking about this and I, and for me the the band that i kept going back to was um take that um for me they're a band that is very kind of quite diverse they do produce a lot of different kinds of music um and and i absolutely love their songs there are many of their songs on my playlist um and my playlist is quite a I'm going to say unique playlist that I have. Um, there's not very many kind of modern tunes on there. There is a lot of uh, <laughs> cheesy classic tunes, I suppose I will call them. Um, but take that do really pay a lot of um, presence within my um, playlist. And, and I think that they're a great band. I think that they're great to see live. They're really good in, in what they do. And, Personally, for me, I think they've always been better without Robbie Williams, but that's controversial. Um, Callum, who would be batting for you in the other category? Uh, well, I'm similar to you. I do really like Take That, actually. Um, I'd say with them, is anything ever cutting edge about their music? I think it's very much, it's commercial. It, it sells well it, it sounds nice but but i don't think the game as it were in, in any meaningful way uh of course another band that we did have on here uh, um, originally when when we came to kind of brainstorming this topic we did talk about, about one direction as well uh, i mean i'd say that such a short-lived thing that i can't case the one direction of the best british band of all time but of course, there was 1D Mania, similar to what we saw with the Beatles. They did do really well in the States, similarly to what the Beatles done. So in 50 years, you might be talking about 1D, although I very, very much doubt it. Um, who do you think can come out on top in this one, George? Oh, it's a hard one. It's a real hard one. But I'm going to go with the Queen. Uh, sorry, Queen, not the Queen. I'm going to go with Queen. How about you, Callum? I think the Beatles will come out on top, but we will see. Time for you guys to vote. Wait on this question: What is the best British band of all time? You can do that with Radio.co.uk. Force us to listen, and those options again are Oasis, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Spice Girls, Queen, or other. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. Before the break, we asked, what is the best British band of all time? And you guys have been voting away. So 29% of you said the Beatles, 17% of you the Rolling Stones, 16% uh, for both Queen and Other, 14% uh, for Oasis, and then 8% for the Spice Girls. So, George, um, I was right. I'm, I'm um, somewhat surprised in, in a sense by how high Other is. What, what did you make of that? Well, I think it just shows the talent that um, we have in the British Isles, really. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, good. I'm pleased. Right. OK, so let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. Um, and as always, I say the most important discussion. And we're asking, would you ever want to be famous? So when we talk about what we want to be when we are older, um, some may say they want to be a farmer. 
or a police officer, or even a magician. Some, however, will say that they would like to be famous, whether that's being an actor, being an influencer, or being a TikTok star, or being the winner of Big Brother. Who knows? So, Callum, what do you think? Are you hoping that one day you'll be the biggest celebrity of Kent? Well... I, I think, George, that I'm a, I'm a ready stunner in my own right, uh, <laughs> on obviously with this radio show. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, you know, I suppose we're talking about um, kind of David Beckham level fame. Uh, and I think I don't think I would want to be that famous, actually. It sounds nice in theory, doesn't it? I mean, having obviously a lot of money. Um, being able to almost say or or not say what you want, but now to basically to a certain extent, and um, so so that does sound really nice. But I think the invasive nature of being famous is something that time and time and um, we've seen people that actually it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Um, you know. I don't think I'd enjoy having paparazzis for me around 24 7. Um, and and I, I don't think I'd enjoy them trying to dig up dirt on me that um, <laughs> it doesn't really need. Not that I've got, uh, not that I've got anything to hide, really, but <laughs> you know what I mean. What about you, George? I mean, do, would, I'm, I'm guessing you would want to be famous, actually. You seem like the kind of person who would kind of marvel in that. I'm not so sure. I think, like yourself, Callum, I, I kind of uh, like the idea in, in theory, but in practice, I think I would absolutely hate it. For me, I think the most I would want to be famous, um, essentially, is is in politics. I, th I think that if I could be famous, it would be through politics and, and whether or not you can actually call MPs famous or not. Um, I suppose you can all call them being well known. And that, for me, actually sits quite comfortably for me. I, I wouldn't want to be you know, the kind of Colin Firth kind of style uh, celebrity. I would rather be a, a local celebrity, I suppose, and someone that is well known in the local community and potentially kind of known on, on TV for doing something good in politics. I mean, that's very rare to actually do something good in politics, but um, I can still give it a go. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, for me, I, I definitely think that it's, it's, it's um, as much as I would, would kind of, like the idea of being famous i think after about a month i would just want to hurt every paparazzi they got in the way and i wouldn't wouldn't be too pleased but but yeah i i think that in terms of politics that's possibly the level of famous if you can call it that that i would would want to be what what do you think as much as you said you know they in in practice it is a lot harder but what kind of benefits can you see for being famous So, so I guess obviously uh, the main thing would be I think some of the the perks you get and being able to just get tickets to say anything you want being in the, to people's uh, um, boxes to go and watch say um, I don't know the FA Cup final or something like that probably not having to pay for it <laughs> kind of sponsorship deals that you. Well, I suppose I'm thinking about making money from it. Is is my my main thing here? Um, that, so that that for me would be the 
the benefits of it and you could just have an amazing lifestyle um what about you george yeah i definitely think that the, the whole concept of having a an amazing lifestyle and getting a lot of things kind of essentially for free would be definitely beneficial and make your life kind of that much easier but but also for me i think it's kind of the influence that you can have on people um or trying to to change someone's life you know you when you are famous you become quite excuse me quite an idol to some people and and i think because of that i think um it would be quite nice to be able to to help someone out if if like with the charity make a wish some people ask to go and see celebrities and stuff and just things like that for me would be really incredibly touching and and i think it would be so so lovely to be able to to go and help someone out in that way um and to put I don't know your your position in good use to ensure that someone's life was 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 better or, or you made their day better and and just put a smile a smile on their face. But Callum, how do you think this poll is going to go? Um, I think it's going to be near fifty fifty. So I think that fifty percent of people will say that they want to be famous. Okay. Okay. Can they? No, they don't. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to go for about about sixty percent say that they want to be famous. But as I always say, there is only one way to find out, and that is by uh, you guys voting away on this question. Would you ever want to be famous? And you could do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, would you ever want to be famous? And you guys have been voting away. And 62% of you said yes. And 38% of you said no. Well, Callum, I've won the final one of the evening. Very proud of myself. Right. Uh, to be honest, I don't have to remember what you guessed. Uh, I guessed. In one Right. right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, thanks for listening to To Be Discussed with Kupinger. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, uh, earlier for the first segment of, I'd like you to send in your opinions uh, and the question: How do you think Lady Kupinger would have tackled the current coronavirus crisis? You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at WizRadio. So remember that question is, how do you think a Labour government would tackle the current coronavirus crisis? And we're really looking forward to hearing those next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gurr. And I've been George Cutt. Remember everyone, keep smiling and keep that positive mindset. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. <laughs>